John chapter 30, John chapter 12, picking it up in verse 35 through verse 50. Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest your darkness come upon you, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus, and departed, and did hide himself from them. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report? To whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah saith again, He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. I am come a light into the world, and that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words, and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me, and receiveth not my words, hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say, and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting." Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. And all God's children said, Amen. Our Heavenly Father, there are so many important truths in thy word this morning. Indeed, every morning when we open your word, I pray thee, Lord, this day that you will open it unto us, that we might appreciate what it means to have faith in you and what the benefits of that are. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen. That's a strange thing to say, what the benefits of faith are. It's eternal life, eternal fellowship with God. <laughs> um, well, again, from last week, uh, in verse 35, Jesus you know, declares himself to be the light of the world and that the light is going to be with them for a little while. So this is in the context of national Israel. Christ is going to be with them for a period of time, and then that light is going to be removed, and they are going to be in darkness for a period of time. And as this thing develops here, the Lord is going to help us to appreciate the veracity of, the, of that statement, the truthfulness of that statement, because in verse 36, he speaks these words, and then he departs, and he hides, them, hides himself from them. That seems like kind of a strange thing for him to do, to hide himself from the people, but we see that manifest throughout the entire history of the world, and certainly with respect to the history of Israel, where he brings grace to them, and... Uh, an opportunity, if I can use that language, is set before them to believe, but they don't believe. So what does he do? He removes himself from them. And that happens to national, happened to national Israel. It happened in times in the past throughout their, their history. 
Um, and it happens this very day. You know, the, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The principles that we see set forth in the Scripture happen um, every day. And it happens um, today as well. So he's saying them, while ye have the light. In other words, while I'm here with you, you need to believe on the things that I'm doing. You need to believe on the things that you are seeing. You need to believe the testimony of uh, the things that, um, that speak of me. And that would certainly include the entire Bible. All the law, all the Psalms, and the prophets always testified of Christ. That all these things would be um, fulfilled. And so he shares that uh, with them towards the latter part of this discourse here in verse 49 and, and 50. He talks about that the, I, I'm not, I have not spoken of myself. It's the Father that's telling me the things that I should say. But not only that, we certainly have all the entire Bible to speak and give testimony about what Christ says. And he's telling us that we have to believe what he's saying, and by that he means we have to believe the gospel. And if you don't believe the gospel, you will be judged for that. So right now, in the context here, the light is with them. It'll be with them for a short period of time. Um, the light is in the world to this day, and I talked about that last week because Christ is in us. We are the light of the world because in his physical absence, the Holy Ghost is in us, and we are the ones who witness and testify about the veracity of the Scriptures, about the truths of the Scripture. But there's going to come a day when the Christians are removed too, and then the light will be utterly um, extinguished. And so, as we closed off last week, we talked about when there will come a time when time is no more, and that's Revelation chapter 10, when he pulls the plug, if I can use that language, he pulls the plug, and everything, it's over. And so the admonition in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 is, now is the accepted time, behold, now is the day of salvation. You need to believe on Christ while the opportunity is um, exists. It's going to come a day when there is no opportunity to believe on him because it will be over. Um, that's to the world, but for those that come to church, and this includes us as well, actually, that you need to believe on the Lord, but the Christian is exhorted in the Scripture. Let me rephrase that. The person who thinks there is a Christian is exhorted to give diligence to make your calling and election sure. That's 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fail. So a certain amount of introspection is necessary. You need to make your calling and election sure. Are you a born-again Christian? And how do you do that? Of course, you don't look at your works because people do all sorts of good works um, throughout the world. And that is not a, um, a proof that they are, have been regenerated because uh, um, that's not necessarily Christ in them. People can do lots of good things with, um, uh, for reasons of to lift themselves up, to present themselves as acceptable before the Lord. So they're engaging in a works-based um, salvation process, and that will not lead to um, salvation. There's narcissistic reasons for, the re- for what they do. Um, we do know that... Um, God has ordained that we should walk in good works. They're works that he does through us, and that, of course, is fruit of salvation. But that's not the right place to look. 2 Corinthians 13.5 also speaks of that. He says, examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. So if you're looking for um, something in yourself that would uh, be indicative of regeneration, it would be love for God. Because the carnal mind is at enmity with God, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. If you love God, God has overcome um, that, um, that part of man, that depraved part of man that hates God. Only God can do that. Only God can turn a man's heart 
from himself, from the world, to himself. So that is a sign of regeneration, is do you love the Lord? And the gospel, and um, First John speaks a lot about that. It kind of goes through a loop. Do you love God? Do you love his word, which was Christ? And do you love his children? So the, the saint, the regenerated, the regenerated individual would love God, would love Christ, and would love Christians, in whom, those in whom Christ dwells. So this is something that um, the scripture exhorts us to do. And as we look into it, and as we've gone through the Gospels, we will see that there are people that say they believe on Jesus, but yet we don't see a manifestation of that. Indeed, there's a group that's set right before us here um, where it talks about how, um, verse 42, among the chief priests, chief rulers, also many believed on him, and yet they won't confess him because they fear man and not God. So how is, is a person regenerated and yet will not confess Christ, um, I would say no. So we're going to look at those words there and help us to appreciate that. So we see that all through scriptures. We see people that are openly antagonistic towards God. Those are easy to appreciate what camp they're in. And then we see people that are said to believe, but yet we don't see a manifestation of regeneration in them. So I've heard many a sermon preach where they'll talk about Jesus does a miracle, and then it talks about the people believed, and they will say, see, they believed on him, um, and therefore they're Christians. And I read that and I go, mm, I don't know that the Lord really worked on their heart, that he actually regenerated them. But it is confusing. And I'm going to bring this to our house, to our own families, as we, as we uh, move further on in this. And there are certain things I want us to appreciate. So here we are in verse 37. It says, But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. And the Lord had said that, if you don't believe me, believe the works because the works testify of me. And so Jesus has done many wonderful works in front of them. And what just makes Jesus different from anybody else in the scriptures that had done miracles is that nobody ever took credit for the miracles. They attributed those miracles to God except Christ himself. He did take credit for his miracles because he was simply affirming that, yes, I am indeed uh, God manifest in flesh, I am the Messiah, the one that was said would come. So we read in verse 38, it says that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? The question is set before us. It comes from Isaiah 53. Who hath believed our report? What is, what is the report? He's saying, who has believed the gospel? The report would be the gospel. And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? What is the arm of the Lord? Who's the right hand of God? It's Christ himself. So who has that been revealed to? So the question is, who's going to believe this? And uh, when the gospel was taken to Israel, national Israel, they did not believe it. They did not believe it. So they would not believe it because um, they have hardened their own hearts. Um, and so because they would not believe it because of their own hearts, because of the depravity, the depravity of man, because man is at enmity with God, verse 39 comes in, therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. Do not think that God wrote something like that. And therefore said, well, because I have said this, therefore, in order to fulfill this prophecy, I'm going to blind everybody and I'm going to harden their hearts. That's not the way it works. He's simply, God knows what is going to happen in the future. And so in the context of this, he's like, they're not going to believe it because that's the way man is. Man is totally depraved. He's a sinner. 
man hates me, and so therefore I know they're not going to believe on me, and when that day comes, why then I'm going to then harden their hearts. So it starts with man would not believe, and therefore he, uh, we go down this, take this next step, and we see that they cannot believe. With respect to would not believing, as I said before, it's from Romans 8, it speaks of uh, the carnal mind is at enmity with God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be, because a man's heart is so hard, he does not want to obey God. That comes from man and not from God. Psalm chapter 2, the first two verses there say that, um, I better look it up, I'm just drawing a blank. Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers took counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. So who are they taking counsel against? The Lord and his anointed. Who is the anointed? The word anointed there is the word Messiah. That's what the word Messiah means. Messiah means anointed. And so who would that individual be? Well, uh, Daniel chapter 9 tells us exactly who that individual is going to be and when he's going to come. In Daniel chapter 9, verses 25 and 26, it speaks about, it says, Know ye therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah. That's the same word as the anointed one, the prince. He's also the prince. Shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. And it continues there. Verse 26, And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah, or the anointed one, be cut off. So if there's any question who the anointed one would be, well, you simply need to turn to Luke chapter 4, and Jesus identifies himself right in the beginning of his mercy, of his ministry, excuse me, as the anointed one. We see that in Luke chapter 3, when the Lord is baptized, in verse 22 of Luke chapter 3, it says, and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved son, in thee I am well pleased. That's where he's anointed. Then we turn to chapter 4 of Luke, and he's preaching. And in verse 18 of Luke chapter 4, Jesus opens up the scriptures to the prophet Isaiah, and he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. We just saw that happen in Luke chapter 3. The Spirit of the Lord descended upon him. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath, quote, anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Christ is the anointed one. Christ is the Greek word form of the word Messiah. So Jesus has identified himself right from the beginning of his ministry as the Messiah. So Psalm chapter 2 says, "Ah, we're going to take counsel against the Messiah. And so people are at enmity with him, and we see it manifest itself in their hearts and in the things that they do. In John chapter 15, a couple of places, it says that man hates God, Man hates Jesus because they hate God. And guess what? They're going to hate you too. They hate us because Christ is in us and we represent the gospel into the world. And the world loves its own and does not love us. So we see this antagonism and this enmity between man and God. And so God has simply prophesied, yet they're not going to believe our report. When I reveal myself, they're not going to see me. They're not going to appreciate who I am. And they indeed did not uh, do that. He came unto his own and his own received him not. So, Isaiah chapter 6, he repeats that. He talks about how he's going to harden their hearts and he's going to darken their eyes and their understanding. They're, they're not going to get it. And that was the ministry that Isaiah participated in, as did Jeremiah, as did Ezekiel. It would be a 
ministry I don't care to participate in, but let me share this with you. If you preach the gospel, you are part of that ministry where you are sharing light and you are bringing uh, grace and light to them, but you are also bringing judgment. Um, We'll get to that later because if they don't accept the gospel, there is a sore judgment for them, and that's Hebrews chapter 10. So God, uh, the gospel is set before national Israel in particular, and because of the hardness of their heart and their enmity that's within them, uh, they do not believe what the Lord says. And as our deacon read this morning from Hebrews chapter 3, they did not enter in because of unbelief. It's only through faith that man can enter into the promises of God and enter into eternal life. Now, this, um, this truth about the hardness of the heart and where it comes from um, we see that manifests itself in the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, we uh, read about Pharaoh's heart. And so we think to ourselves, well, we know that in um, Romans chapter 9, the Lord speaks about how he raised up Pharaoh for this very purpose, that he would be glorified. Well, how did that happen? Did that happen because God hardened his heart first and then set these conditions that, that he could not meet, and then therefore his glory was manifest? It's like saying, you know, glory abounds if we increase in sin. You know, God forbid. It's true, but that's not the way it's supposed to, That's not the way that we would rationalize it for ourselves. In Exodus chapter 8, verse 15, it says, But when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart there and hearkened not unto them as the Lord has said. Moses is having a conversation with him, and Pharaoh is hardening his heart. In the previous chapter, in Exodus chapter 7, verse 3, God is having a conversation with Moses, and God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But what I want us to appreciate is, yeah, God said he would harden his heart, but his heart was hard first. Pharaoh's heart was hard first. So just like we're reading here in John chapter 12 about how, hey, they're not going to believe and therefore, I'm going to harden their hearts so they cannot believe. But the um, origin of that issue is in man and not in God. So, when the gospel is set before somebody, I want you to appreciate this because we hear this language in churches all the time. The gospel invitation. The gospel is not an invitation. It's a commandment. First John Amen. chapter 3 Verse 23. 1 John chapter 3, verse 23. There it says, And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. It's a commandment. It is God's commandment that you believe his gospel. If you don't believe the gospel, just flip over one page in your Bible, and you're in John, 1 John chapter 5. Uh, And there he says, I want to pick it up in verse 10. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself, meaning the Holy Ghost is in you, hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this, what you're holding in your hand, the Bible, is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, And this life is in his son. You are commanded by God to believe his gospel. If you don't believe his gospel, you are calling him a liar. When we think of the history of Israel, and again, where our deacon read in Hebrews chapter 3, 
There's a reason we call the place they were going the promised land. (laughs) Because God promised that they would receive it. But they didn't believe his promise. And so there we are at Kadesh Barnea when he sends um, spies into the land. And they go up there and they see great walled cities. And they see warriors that are uh, giants. They come back and say, there's no way we can take this. I know God promised it to us, but it's not going to happen. We, we cannot take this. And so because of unbelief, God said for the next 38 years, you're going to wander in the wilderness here until all the men of war, which would be people who trust in themselves, till all the men of war have died out. And then I'm going to bring you in because then you will appreciate and understand that the reason you are taking this land is because of me. It's a fulfillment of my promise and not because of you. And what's so egregious about the sin at Kadesh Barnea is because God had destroyed Egypt through a series of plagues and destroyed Pharaoh's army by drowning them all in the Red Sea. And then here they are at Kadesh Barnea, and they're like, well, that was yesterday, and maybe God is different yesterday, today, and tomorrow because all the promises that he has fulfilled in the past, that's no indication that he's going to fulfill them in the future. That's true when you invest money. And they all have that disclaimer. But that is not true with respect to God. You know, past performance is not a guarantee of future returns. That is true with God. Past performance means future returns. God is um, truthful. And he says, you will possess that land. You will possess that land. So I want us to appreciate the gospel invitation is not an invitation. It's a commandment that we would believe on him. If you fail to obey God, you have called him a liar, and you'll be judged for that. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 12, it speaks of opening books, plural. We're all familiar with the book of life. It says that another book was opened, but what's the first book that he opened? It says books, plural. Well, you're going to be judged out of this. You'll be judged out of the things that this book says in it, and you are required um, to obey. We know that in Romans chapter 5, the scripture says that by one man's disobedience, speaking of Adam, by one man's disobedience, sin entered in. Well, you have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 2, it talks about how, uh, about obedience. Romans chapter 2, verse 16, it says, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Paul's gospel is Christ's gospel. So we're going to be judged according to the gospel, according to the things that the Bible says in it, according to the truths that are written in there. We have to believe these things. If we don't believe them, we'll be judged according to his gospel. We must obey. Now, now let's talk about faith. And this is where I want to be looking at our handout here. We have to appreciate something about faith, that saving faith or belief is not intellectual. And that's the way we tend to think of it because that is our uh, perspective when we approach the Bible, that we tend to think of it in an intellectual context because that's how we have learned things historically as we've gone to school and we make intellectual pursuits. We are convinced something is true by virtue of the things that people teach us. And then later we might come to an appreciation that those things were not true. So we change our understanding and our perspective and we believe something different And then later we might go back to the original thing that we believed because we've learned that, well, I guess that that secondary uh, thing was not true, but the first thing I believed really was true. So we'll go through a process where we will learn something, somebody convinces us something is true, then they convince us that something else is true, and then we're just kind of all over the map. And that's where we are really with respect to creation. You know, the scientists will say that the Earth is a certain number of years old, 
and I don't remember what they used to say, I think 20 billion years old, and then they got down to 18 billion years, then they got down to 4 billion years. And so I believed every one of those things because they always had better, better science to uh, prove that. Um, but when I became a Christian, I understood what the scriptures had to say about that. It's like 6,000 years old. And I'm like, that I'm good with because God has said in his book um, how old it is. And in, um, I guess, Hebrews around chapter 10 where it talks about that we understand that the things are seen, that are seen were not made from things which do appear. We understand ex nihilo creation. And this we know by faith. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that's where I rest now, and I do believe that because, look, the God has put that truth on my heart. But I'm sharing with us that we go through this process um, where we have been intellectually convinced of something, and then later we learn that that's not true because we've been intellectually convinced of something else. And that's what we see in the Scripture with respect to people that are said to believe, and yet there's no fruit suggestive or indicative of salvation. They have intellectually assented to a truth and drawn some conclusions. I saw um, um, Lazarus raised from the dead, and I believe something, and then they don't believe. Some other people saw the same thing, and they continue to believe. So belief means different things in the Scripture. So before I go into the handout, let's also make a comment about the doctrine of the preservation of the saints. I think most Christians appreciate that. It's 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, where it says that about as clear as can be said about the preservation of the saints. And I'm going to read that. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. Speaking of the saints, it says, Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We are kept by the power of God unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. We will get to glory because God will keep us there. And we've already gone through the Gospel of John where he speaks about nobody can pluck us out of uh, his hands. No, 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 no thing, not Satan, nothing can pluck us out of God's hands, can't pluck us out of Christ's hands. So with respect to this doctrine of the preservation of saints, what it doesn't say is preservation of people who we think are saints. That doesn't apply. Nor does it apply to people. There's no preservation of people who think they are saints. So there's three categories here. There's people who really are saints. There's people who I think are saints. And there's people who think they are saints. And we see those people in the scriptures. Most notably, we see them in Matthew chapter um, 7. Verses 23, 24, and 25. Those are people who think they are saints. There we read. Not every, verse 21 actually. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Those people think they're saints. They're calling on the Lord. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works. Obviously, they think they are saints. Then will I, that would be Christ, profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. They didn't persevere because they were not saints. They thought they were saints, but they were not saints. So let me share with us also a truth about the Holy Ghost. When the Holy Ghost comes upon a person, that doesn't necessarily mean they're regenerated. We know that the, um, God turns the heart of the king like the rivers of water, whithersoever he willeth. 
He worked in Nebuchadnezzar's heart, and he brought him down to Israel, but he was not regenerated. He does that all the time. He works in people's hearts and restrains sin, but he doesn't necessarily regenerate them. We see that back in Genesis chapter 20 when Abraham brings his wife Sarah down to Gerar, and he's subject to King Abimelech, and he again presents her as his sister. And the, uh, Abimelech wants to take Sarah in and lie with her. And then God comes to him in a dream and says, by the way, that's another man's wife. Don't touch her. And he's like, well, the integrity of my heart. And we know there is no integrity in his heart, but that's what he thinks. So he makes a statement about the integrity of my heart. Have I done this thing? And God says, yeah, I know. I restrained you from sinning against me. And so God restrains sin in people's hearts, you know, working through the Holy Ghost. But that doesn't mean they're regenerated. So that's another thing that we see uh, in the scriptures, which I think muddies the waters in terms of our appreciation with respect to who is regenerated and who is not regenerated. And there will come a day when we are standing before the Lord in judgment and everybody on the right side of that throne is going to go, oh, you made it. I guess you were a saint. And I'm there because I was a saint too. And there's going to be people on the other side that thought they were saints or, or we thought they were saints, but they were not saints. Um, and that's the way it's going to play out. So now let's look at the handout that I have set before you. And I want you to appreciate that when the Bible uses the word believe and speaks about people doing things, it can mean different things. It can mean that it happened just once. It can mean that it's a continuous action. And those are, with respect to the import of regeneration, those are, are two very different things. You know, if you, you can believe something last week that you don't believe today. Um, and that means you don't believe it now, but you believed it then. If that has to do with salvation, the fact that you believed it Ten years ago means nothing today. So that's important for us to understand that. So here we are in John chapter 11, and I'm going to go there first because I had already covered this subject when we were talking, uh, speaking about Jesus being the resurrection and the life. And this brings forth these principles that we'll see in chapter 12 and in other verses in the Bible. In John chapter 11, verse 25, it says, Jesus saith unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. That's an interesting statement because he's using the word belief in the context that it appears to transcend the grave, though he were dead, meaning he's died, his body is dead. And so believeth there is to be understood in the present indicative participle. It's a continuous or repeated action. He's saying that he that believes in me continuously, though he were dead, Yet um, shall he live. That should be obvious. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as continuous faith that transcends the grave and you will be um, resurrected. Verse 26, and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. So the believeth there is present active participles. Again, it's continuous or repeated action. So it's important for us to understand that your belief must be continuous. Now he says, believest thou this? Well, that's to be understood in the present indicative active meaning. Do you believe this while I'm presently speaking to you? Do you believe it right now when I'm, when I'm sharing with you? In verse 27, she says unto him, Martha says unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ. And that's to be understood in the present indicative active meaning. The action took place sometime in the past with continuing results. So here we have um, three different the word believe is used in three different ways in terms of its Greek um, tense so that we should appreciate the deeper meaning about how it really applies to the individual. Continuous belief is required for salvation. Now, so let's go to John chapter 12 and look at um, 
verse 11. And here we see some of the people that believed uh, because of this whole thing about Lazarus being raised from the dead. Because that by reason of him, Lazarus, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. That's a continuous um, belief. Those people are going to go to glory. They are Christians. Now we flip over to verse 37. And I'm just going to go through this faster. Otherwise, we'll be, this, I don't want to turn this into an English um, lesson. In verse 37, we have this, Though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. That's a continuous belief. They did not believe continuously on him. And so we see that all throughout the scriptures, Jesus does something, and it appears that people are believing. Well, they are, just temporarily, though. It's not a continuous belief. And those individuals, obviously, are not going to confess Jesus before um, the Sanhedrin, or before the chief priest. Verse 38 that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed in the past? It was not continuous. The time is not specified when that belief took place, but it wasn't continuous. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? It's not a continuous uh, revelation. The time is not um, specified. So when Christ was there, whatever the people saw, it didn't stick with them. The revelation of Christ did not remain with them. They did not believe anything when he walked away from them. It was, it, you know, whatever they thought it departed from them. In verse 39, therefore, they could not believe. And that's a continuous belief. They could not believe continuously here. Verse 40, he hath blinded them. That action took place sometime in the past. The results are continuing. God has blinded them. Um, he has hardened their hearts. Again, action took place sometime in the past. That they should not see, that's a simple, undefined action. They don't understand. Simple, undefined action. Didn't, didn't understand. They're not converted. Can't be converted. Simple, undefined action. So now let's drop down to verse 42. And we see, nevertheless, among the chief rulers, also many believed. Well, you should understand what kind of belief that is at this point. That was not a continuous belief. Not a continuous belief. Um, not confessed him. It was not a continuous confession. They, they, they wouldn't do that. They wouldn't continuously confess the Lord. And that's something that we... A regenerated person would do. You would continuously believe and you would continuously confess the Lord. Down to verse 44, Jesus cried and he said that he that believeth on me. That's a continuous belief. He that believeth on me believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. He that seeth me seeth him that sent me. To see him, that would be you're talking about the first seeth me is a continuous. You are continually seeing me. That's in verse 45. You're seeing the Lord, meaning that is occurring while the speaker makes a statement. If you're looking at me, if you see me continuously, you see God. We know that Jesus is the manifestation of God in the flesh and that he is the brightness of God's glory. He's the expressed image of God's person. It's Hebrews chapter 1, I think verse 3. If you see Christ continuously, if he's been revealed to you, you are seeing God. Verse 46, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me, that's a continuous belief. Whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. That's just a simple undefined action. If you believe on the Lord continuously, at no point will you be walking in darkness. Will you abide in darkness? Verse 47, if any man hear my words, that's simple undefined action. If you can hear them, said, and you believe not, Simple, undefined action. I'm not judging you. I judge him not. 
That's occurring while the speaker makes a statement. Jesus is making that statement present time. If you don't hear, you don't see, I'm not judging you right now. Um, But you're going to be judged in the future. But it's not happening right now. So in verse uh, 47, um, I judge him not for I came not to judge. Simple undefined action. We know that he didn't come his first time to judge the world, but he came to save the world. Simple undefined action. Verse 48, rejecting him. Reject him. It's a continuous or repeated action. So you reject him on Tuesday, then you receive him on Wednesday. You're not going to go to, um, not, you will not be cast into the lake of fire. Um, receiveth not, he that rejecteth me, and receiveth not my words. Continuous or repeated action. If you continue to not receive the words of the Lord, you will be judged. You will have one that judges you. That's a continuous or repeated action. You're storing up wrath against you. And future tense, shall judge him. There's going to come a time when judgment comes, and I've already talked about that. You will be judged according to God's word. Now let's flip over to Romans 10 and look at some verses that we're all familiar with about confession made with the mouth, belief in the heart. And let's take a quick look at that. And then we're going to go back to John 3.16 and look at those in terms of what they really mean. So here we are in Romans chapter 10. We're going to pick it up in verse 8, and we'll read through 11. And pay attention to the word heart. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart, believe in the heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made. For Scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. The Lord is helping us to appreciate it. This is not an intellectual thing. We believe intellectually with our brains. It's our heart that belief is unto salvation, where confession is made, for out of the mouth come the issues of the heart. I've said this before, but the gap between the head and the heart is as wide as eternity and as deep as hell. Man will not cross it. God has to impress upon man's heart the veracity of his claims of deity and the uh, truths of scriptures. So in verse 9, he says, If thou shalt confess, that's a simple undefined action, and shall believe, simple undefined action, that God hath raised him at some point in the past that you um, believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, you shall be saved. Future, passive. Something happens to you. Future, it will happen. You shall be saved. Verse 10, For with the heart man believeth. In other words, while you're making the confession, it's an indicative, it's indicative that you um, believe. Confession is made unto salvation. That action occurs while the person is actually speaking. Verse 11, for the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him, that's a continuous belief, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. It's a future action at some point in the future. So where does the scripture say that whosoever believeth on him shall be saved? How about John 3.16? Well, let's look at that. I wonder if it says the same thing. John 3.16. For God so loved. That's not a continuous love. That's a one-time kind of love. What God is saying here is this is the way that God demonstrated his love for the world. God so loved. God in this manner so loved the world. That's not a continuous love. That whosoever believeth on him. Oh, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten sons, that whosoever believeth on him, that's a continuous belief, continuous or repeated action, shall not perish. 
shall not perish. That's a continuous or repeated action. You'll never be cast into a lake of fire. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. We just read that in, in John 25. He didn't come to judge. He did not come to condemn the world, but through the world, that the world through him might be saved. Verse 18. He that believeth on him, that's a continuous belief. Him that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not, continuous belief. If you continue to not believe in the Lord, you are condemned already because he hath not believed on the, only, on the name of the only begotten Son. That last belief is an action that took place some point in the past with continuing results. In other words, you are still believing. And so we know in John 6, 29, it says, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. That has to do when Jesus is speaking, that you believe when I'm speaking, God is actually working that you would believe on him. Now, this takes place throughout the entire history of Israel, and indeed the history of the world. This kind of thing, this, these dynamics are taking place. As the book of Acts closes out, the Apostle Paul, um, or the Lord, is going to quote again, from Isaiah. He's going to quote the same verse because the same truth is um, happens in the end of the book of Acts as is happening right there in uh, the Gospel of John. In Acts 28, as it closes out here in verse 23, he's going to pull all this together. It says, And when they had appointed him a day, meaning Paul is up in Rome, and the uh, Jewish people up there are coming to him, and now they're, they're going to make an appointment. There's a time when they're all going to sit down and talk with him. There came many to him unto his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from morning till evening. So he's opening and alleging out of scriptures, just like we preach out of the Bible every Sunday. He's doing the same thing. In verse 24, it says, and some believe. That's the imperfect text, meaning they are, they are believing what is written in the law and the prophets. All the law, prophets, and psalms testify of Christ, and they are believing that. And this is a continuous or linear action. They believed it when they read it. They believe it when he's sharing those truths with him. And in verse 25, it says, uh, verse 24, And some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. Some believed uh, that would be continuous, and some believe not. Same thing, continuous. They didn't believe before, and they didn't believe after um, they left their um, visitation with Paul. And when they had agreed, when they agreed not among themselves, obviously they're going to disagree. Some are believing, and some are not believing. The Lord always brings division. They departed after that Paul had spoken one word, well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers. He's attributing Isaiah's words to God saying, Un, go unto this people and say, Hearing ye shall not hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. For the heart, heart of this people is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing. He's attributing it to them. And their eyes have they closed. They've hardened their hearts. They've made their ears dull. Their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and should be converted, and I should heal them. Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and that they will hear it. And when, they, when he had said these things, the Jews departed and had great reasoning amongst themselves. They should be getting on their knees and praying that God will open their eyes, give them ears to hear, and a heart to uh, believe. But I want us to appreciate, again, the responsibility lies with man. 
And so all through the scriptures, we see this tension between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. And I've shared with us that it is man's responsibility to believe that God has set these truths before us and he has commanded us to believe. um, And we must believe those things. So now what does this have to do with us today? We have had conversations in the fellowship, you know, recently with respect to our children. And where are they and why aren't they going to church? And I have shared things with you about my family and you have shared things with me about your family. So what we have to understand is this, is people will often say, and I had a pastor in another church who had this conversation with me about people coming to him. And they were saying, well, I guess my child is just backslidden. And I said, well, no, backsliding is an Old Testament term and it has to do with national Israel. They backslide from something they have never attained. They were never saved. And so he says to me, well, I I think parents are just engaged in wishful thinking. And I said, yes, it is wishful thinking. So now let's go take a look at Hebrew chapter 6. And this is going to help us to appreciate this here. Is, Is What I'm sharing with you is, yes, our children believe the things that we taught them, but it was an intellectual uh, belief. We raised them up in the nurture and fear of the Lord. And that is our responsibility as parents to do that. And, and you know what I'm talking about here. I have a relative that's been baptized three times. You know, once as an infant in the Catholic Church, you know, washed original sin away, and we know that's all foolishness. Then they made a profession of faith. Actually, I thought they were Christians, so I baptized them myself in a church. And uh, later, they thought, well, I wasn't really a Christian then, but I'm one now. And so we made another profession of faith and was baptized again, and yet has fallen away from the doctrines of grace. Now, there's not a thing that I can do to teach the same stuff to intellectually move them back to where they once were. At least, uh, certainly not in, with respect to uh, regeneration. I, I can't do that. And so God sets this truth in front of us here that we would appreciate that it is impossible to renew them to that from which they have, have fallen because they were never saved. They were never saved. And so if you want to bring your children because you think that if I can preach the gospel better than you, you're mistaken. If they're not going to hear you, they're not going to hear me. It's the gospel, not hearing from the Lord. And so in the book of Hebrews, the Lord sets this kind of this dynamic in front of them. And if uh, you had been with me throughout the course of that Tuesday morning Bible study, I set this in front of the men that were there. That was an antagonistic group of people. And so I set the end of Hebrews uh, chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6. And I um, picked it up in verse 13, and I said, For everyone that useth milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. In other words, if you stay in the Bible, you'll grow. It's just like going to the gym. You lift weights. You can lift more weights you know, next week than you can this week because you're exercising yourself. Stay in the word, and you'll grow in the, in the um, grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your Bible down, and you'll stop growing in that way. You have to stay on your knees. You have to pray. You have to continue to uh, nurture this relationship with the Lord. Because if you don't, and you are a child of God, he's going to chasten you. He's going to come get you, and he's going to spank you. And that's how it works for a Christian. Christians don't backslide. They stumble in sin, and God comes along and picks them up and keeps them moving. He will keep you moving. But if you engage in grievous sin, like the individual sleeping with his father's wife in 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 5, that person is to be put out of the church. Satan will seriously spank him up to the point where he might even slay him. 
and uh, you'll put out the leaven. You don't want a little, you know, little leaven leavens the whole lump. So anyway, Hebrews chapter 6. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. With that group and that Bible study, more than half the guys could never get past the basics because they were never regenerated. I was constantly talking about the same stuff with them, and I was constantly, um, there was antagonism there, um, which makes it difficult to teach. But there were people that were hearing it and could move. And they could because they were regenerated, and God was placing those truths on their hearts. Verse 4, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. They've tasted it. They didn't consume it. They didn't digest it. They didn't swallow it. They just tasted it. They were once enlightened. Don't think of that as you turn on a light and it's, you once turned on the light and it's still illuminated. They were once enlightened, but now they are walking in um, darkness. So this is something that happened in the past, and the finest example in the scripture would be Judas. Judas was once enlightened. He tasted all the things. He actually did things in the power of the Spirit. He was um, ordained by God to go out and cast out devils and to heal people just like the other 11 disciples, and he did those things. But he was never regenerated. So there's an example of how the Holy Ghost can work on uh, on a person to have them do things, but not regenerate them. So he was an individual. This is a perfect example Balaam uh, is another example of a person like that. So we have children that fit into this category here. They've tasted it. They were raised in a Christian household. They've seen the benefits of Christianity. They've seen a sanctified house, how God has protected the house. Um, But they never consumed it and have tasted the good word of God and the power of the world to come. If they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. To bring these doctrines back to them again and for them to, let's say, um, believe them would be to put Christ on the cross again and nail him to the cross. It says here, they have crucified to themselves again the Son of God. They are counting his blood as something that is not efficacious. They do not believe in the efficacious work of God. And God will sorely judge them for it. And I've shared this in the past, how grievous it is for us to have children that we uh, have preached the gospel to. For them to not receive it is very bad. It'll go better for the guy across the street whom I've never preached the gospel to, who's never heard of Jesus, than for the one who has heard of Jesus and rejected him. If you flip over to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29, the Lord says that. Very plainly in Hebrews 10, 29. Pick it up in verse 28. It's in the context of the people who had the Mosaic law and didn't obey it. He said, he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Verse 29. Of how much sorer punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified, an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. Very clearly, it's telling us that people that reject Christ, that reject 
his work on the cross, his death on the cross, a much surer judgment for them than somebody who was stoned to death under the Mosaic law. So these are very sobering words. And so um, what we need to appreciate with respect to our children is um, the very best thing you can do for your child is to pray for them. To, you know, back them into an intellectual corner where you're trying to have these conversations with them about um, trying to take them back to the place where you thought they were Christians um, is a waste of time. God says it is impossible uh, for those that were once enlightened. It's impossible for you, but it's not impossible for God. So your energy and time should be spent on your knees praying for these people whom we thought were Christians, um, whom they themselves thought they were Christians, um, but it's obvious that they are not Christians. In 1 John chapter 2, he says, speaking of people that used to go to church and don't anymore, or were part of a fellowship, says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. There are people that go to the Christian church for many years, and then suddenly they don't go. And I'm not speaking about occasions because so many churches the gospel is not preached there and I can we can appreciate that as Christians that we would leave a church like that where you're not getting fed I'm simply talking about you see that they at one point they walked in Christian ways but they don't do that anymore they don't like the saints they don't want to hang out with the saints anymore they're just in the world and you know we know those people we have those relatives that do those things they have no interest in these things the only way they will have an interest in it is, again, if we get on our knees and pray that God will regenerate them, God will impress those truths upon, upon their hearts. So it is better for us to appreciate that and understand that and not be um, deceiving ourselves to think that, well, they were once saved, but they're just a little backslidden and I'll just sit over here and uh, at some point they'll wake up, you know, and start going back to church and I'll feel better about them. That, that's, that's not what we should do. We should need to recognize that they were not regenerated and that only God can regenerate them and that we need to get on our knees and to pray for them. So I'm going to finish with that, and next week we'll, we'll pick it up again. Amen. Amen.